everyone! Welcome to my new podcast, Mayday's Comic Book Adventure. I've been running a comic book blog for several years, mostly focusing on TV shows and movies in the comic world, but here I really wanted to take a deep dive into comics themselves. Since this is my first episode, I want to sort of introduce myself. I'm Maggie and I'm in my mid-30s and I have been reading comics since I was in about third grade. I have read tons of comics and still have tons that I have not read. My personal interests and favorites tend to lie over on the DC side of things, but I really do enjoy reading Marvel as well. My plan is to post a Marvel comic breakdown every Monday. Marvel doesn't have a hard reboot to the comic timeline, but typically starting at Avengers Disassembled is where most would recommend starting. However, I do want to back up just a bit and read some of the pre-disassembled stuff that I enjoyed. This is mostly Daredevil, Punisher, and Fantastic Four stuff, but also some Deadpool and Black Panther as well. So how am I reading and reviewing? I will sort of be doing a rating system but this is just my personal opinion and I don't expect anyone to take my ratings to heart. Mostly I'm looking for overall story, did it have meaning and do I think it was told in a thoughtful manner? Next I look for characters. Was there character development throughout and the character interactions? I'm not looking for my favorite characters, just characters that have real development through their issues and volumes. I looked to see if the comic was easy to read. Could someone that doesn't normally read comics pick this up and understand it? Or even myself, sometimes I find stories just confusing. I want to be able to read through and enjoy the story without like those what the fuck is happening moments, you know what I mean? I look for good pacing. Is this reading slow? Am I bored to tears? Is it too much too fast? There should be a nice balance of action and dialogue in the comics and then last but not least the artwork. This one even more than the others I feel is personal preference. Like I said this is just my opinion. However I would love for you guys to check these comics out and rate them to the five categories that I just talked about and let me know where you fall. I'd love to see that over my twitter at mayday underscore maggie. I'll also be doing brief summaries of each issue which will contain spoilers but these comics I'm looking at are pretty old so I don't think that should be an issue. So let's get into the meat and bones here. This episode we are going to be talking about Inhumans Volume 1 which encompasses issues 1 through 12. This was published in September of 2013 and was written by Paul Jenkins and illustrated by Jay Lee. In this volume we get a good-ish origin to Inhumans. They explain enough about the characters and the race and the culture that it makes sense if this is where you are picking them up from. But there are some older comics that may give you a better backstory that I will leave linked in the show notes. However, there are some backstory things that I do want to go over real quick. So what is an Inhuman? An Inhuman are a product of Kree experiments. They're just the Kree had discovered that there was sentient life on Earth thanks to some celestial interactions. Intrigued, the Kree began to experiment on Earth's then primitive human race to produce the genetically advanced inhuman race. They wanted to not only circumvent their own evolutionary stagnation, but to create a powerful mutant race of soldiers to use against the Skrulls. Their experiments were successful in creating a strain of humanity with extraordinary abilities, but the Kree abandoned their experiment because a genetic prophecy had predicted that their experiments would eventually lead to an anomaly who would destroy the Kree supreme intelligence. 
The Inhumans went on to create their own society and develop advanced technology. Inhumans receive their powers when they go through a process called terragenesis. I think this was explained well in issue two here. They talk about how they used to do it at a younger age, but now wait until a person is older so they can really understand their transformation. Inhumans live in Adelan, which has a complicated history. For the purposes of this review, it's nestled in the remains of what was once Atlantis, which we know sank into the earth a long time ago. But because these ruins were once Atlantis, Namor feels that the Inhumans are trespassing on his kingdom, which will come up later in this volume. Adelan has a pretty extensive security system, which is heavily covered in the comics because the air outside is unbreathable to them thanks to human contamination. I have read this comic before, but it had been several years, so I was happy to go back and revisit it. I really enjoy the Inhumans as a whole and wish there was a way that they could be redeemed in the MCU. I was hoping that they could be reintroduced in the upcoming Miss Marvel because she's an Inhuman in the comics, but from what I read, she's going to have a different source of origin which is kind of a bummer to me but anyway getting into the comics in issue one we are introduced to the royal family of Adelan. at the top we have black bolt i do wish that they would have explained black bolt's powers a little more if this is your first read of humans which makes sense since it's the first volume they really only touch on the fact that his voice can break the earth and that he can fly but he has a wide range of abilities that are all based on his power to harness the free floating electrons around him his wife Medusa and first cousin is the queen of Adeland. There's a lot of weird inbreeding happening here, but I guess the gene pool is limited, so I try not to look into that too much. Obviously, with a name like Medusa, you know that the hair is probably important, which is her most noteworthy ability. She has the power to move her hair, making it an indestructible weapon, but she also has an um, above average in human strength. Then to the other cousins, there's Karnak. He gained the extra sensory ability to perceive stress points, fracture planes, and weaknesses, physical and psychological, in all objects or persons around him. Gorgon is more physically enhanced than and the leader of the Inhuman Guard. Other than having super strength, speed, stamina, ability, and reflexes, he is also extremely durable and has accelerated healing. I think the coolest thing about him though is that he has hooves and he can use them to create seismic shocks which comes up in this volume. It's pretty important. Crystal is the sister of Medusa and her powers are based on the elements. So she has aerokinesis, geokinesis, hydrokinesis, pyrokinesis, atomic manipulation, hydrogenesis, magnetokinesis, therokinesis, along with elemental awareness and immunity. Now, None of those are used in this volume at all. She's really the member of the family that is overlooked the most in this issue, and I think it's a bummer. Then to Triton, who is the ocean-based inhuman. Basically, he's like a fish man and has all these water-based abilities. And of course, we can't forget to talk about the lovable Lockjaw, who is an inhuman giant dog with the power of inter- and intradimensional teleportation as well as psionic and interdimensional tracking sense. Then last but not least is Mad Maximus, Black Bolt's villainous brother who has mental manipulation abilities, including mind control and reading, brainwave manipulation, memory and personality alteration, precognition, and telepathic illusions. Add in some insanity, and he's a really very dangerous guy. The introduction of Maximus is pretty simple. He's in prison, they mention it later in the volume, but he is here because he staged a coup with an alpha primitive 
primitive uprising and was king for a short time. And even though Maximus is certifiable, he's also very intelligent and always scheming. They mentioned that Black Bolt killed their parents by speaking, but that was the manipulation of Maximus. And so Black Bolt went on to become king while his brother was outed. In issue one, they also discussed the Portuguese mercenary army that is just outside the Adelan, which will become a major part of the plot in issue four. For now, they are just that this group that is prospecting for vibranium right outside of Adelan. In issue two, we have some more introductions. This time, a young Inhumans group that are getting ready to go through the terrogenesis process. I'm going to butcher these names for a moment, but we have Nares, Dinyu, Nefri, Kalikia, and Waz. And then the main character we're going to be following is Tania. They talk about how nervous they are coming out of the Regent's Arch, which is like this school that prepares young inhumans for their transformation. That night, they decide as like a prank type of thing to go to the prison and visit Mad Maximus. They do, and for most of them, it's nothing more than a peek, but Maximus does notice Waz and even says his name. Then they next, then the next morning they go through their terogenesis with some interesting things happening. Tanya becomes the first born flyer in 30 years. Her skin is green, but that's cool as an inhuman. No problem there. Nephi, Nephi becomes pretty monstrous looking, but is useful. And so her transformation is also celebrated. Nares becomes an energy-based inhuman with electrical manipulation, and Dinyu, who was once a good-looking guy, ends up with some powers where you can't look at his face. So, he will be wearing a mask for the rest of his life. But it's still a skill, so he's deemed useful. Problem two transformations here are Kalika, who was Tanya's best friend. Her hands are kind of like disformed and have no remarkable power at this point. So Tanya decided that they can't be friends anymore, that it's going to be too hard because she's going to be kind of like this disgraced inhuman now. Then Waz. Waz becomes an alpha primitive, which is explained more now in issue three. The Alpha Primitives are a sub-race created by the Inhumans to be sterile slaves, basically. Their job is to keep the machines going, and they even have the ability to communicate with the machines. They had recently, during Max's reign, had an uprising, and now are treated better than they were, but let's be real, they're still very much slaves. The royal family is concerned about what Waza's transformation could mean for the Inhumans as a whole, because as Karnak explains, there was once a scientist that discovered that these changes in terogenesis happen in anticipation of the future, and this could be a sign for the end of the Inhumans. Crystal even makes the statement later that they're really just create experimentations when you boil it down and maybe Mother Earth's just isn't happy with them. As for Waz, he isn't exactly fitting in initially with the primitives because he doesn't feel the machines like the others and some of the other primitives are talking about having another uprising. Based on some of his changes that have happened to Waz since he's been in the lower levels, he is not done changing yet and we really see that when he reaches out and travels through the mirror into the antiverse at the end of the issue. Lockjaw, the lovable royal dog, does see and sense that there is this issue since he can travel through and sense the antiverse, but he doesn't understand what is happening. However, we do see 
that all of this is being manipulated by Maximus. Into issue four, we have the introduction of the outside influence, which is, of course, the Russians and the Americans, specifically Colonel Solenko and the CIA video he watched that has compiled information about the Inhumans and specifically mentions the tensions between Namor and Inhuman. Then we see Reed Richards appear on the TV show supporting the Inhumans and their self-imposed exile. Like I mentioned, these two will become heavily entwined leader. Basically, we're getting the impression that the world is obsessed with the humans and wants to know what they are up to or what they're hiding. Meanwhile, the guards and Gorgon have noticed some disturbances coming from Maximus's cell and investigate but find nothing. Waz and Maximus do use the mirror in his room to travel outside of Adelian to Stelyanko, the Russian colonel. The plan is basically for Stelyanko to help Maximus take over by delivering a device externally that will bring down the negative space, which is one of the layers of defense for Adelian. In exchange, Stelyanko is going to get some untold prize once all this happens. And by the end of the issue, we see the mercenary forces advance closer to Adelian under the direction of Stelyanko. Lockjaw is still sensing and seeing these actions of Waz, which Tanya brings to Black Bolt as a concern. In issue five, things begin to pick up. Royals fly out to meet with the mercenaries to strike some kind of bargain with Stelyanko spitting in Black Bolt's face. The Inhumans retreat back to the sanctuary of Adelan's defenses, and the mercenaries begin their outer attack on the defenses of Adelan. Karnak believes that the humans have somehow found a weakness that he himself did not see. Apparently, the outer defense is vulnerable to lightning when it is charged, so the onslaught of attacks at the hands of the mercenaries have overcharged the dome, and then it gets struck by lightning, eliminating it completely. So basically, right now, we're looking at one down in the defenses and four to go. Meanwhile, we have the introduction of a character that had their MCU debut recently in the Black Widow movie, which is Yelena Boleva. This is her first appearance in the comics as well, so she is a relatively new comic book character. She was tasked by Stelianko to deliver the device from Maximus to Mr. to Mr. Bixby, a U.S. ambassador to the U.N. That is important because the Inhumans are sending their ambassador Mendicus, a literal talking baby, on their behalf. Of course, the UN is needlessly complicated, as all politics are, and while the U.S. says they support the Inhumans, there's nothing they can do, except offer them a statue that has that hidden deactivator from Maximus inside. The outside attacks cause some inner turmoil. Gorgon is ready to attack and does send out some of his Inhuman fighters, but their tachyon fields are quickly brought down by the mercenaries thanks to some intel from Max. This brings the telekinesis in humans to the front lines to help restore those fields. For now, Black Bolt does nothing, although Gorgon, the head of the guard, is ready to head out and decimate the attackers. I laugh to myself a little when he insults Black Bolt, but then immediately apologizes. It's like when you say something, something to your mom and she just gives you that look and you're like, oh shit. But then Medusa tells them that Black Bolt is waiting to hear from Mendicus around the time that Mendicus returns. Of course, the news is that there isn't any real help coming, but the statue from Maximus is now in place inside of the Dome of Protect. Big CP does arrive to assist Stelianko. Mostly these two are just pawns of Maximus, but they think that Black Bolt is underestimating them, which is why he isn't returning fire. But in reality, it is explained in Black Bolt's thoughts that if they fight the humans here, it will bring more humans which will only further pollute the air around them, killing them in the long run. Instead, Black Bolt pulls back their line of defenses further. 
Into the issue seven, we have the introduction of three new characters. Rexel Tovan, who is a shunned member of the Inhuman Society because his powers have been deemed unimportant. These Inhumans are still cared for above primitives, but are basically like the lowest class of Inhuman in the hierarchy. He tells about his parents who wrote him off after his failed terrogenesis. He talks about how things were under Maximus's role and his fear that they will get to the point again. By the end of the issue, he sends Blackpool this message willing to fight, which we'll see later in the volume. Then there's Tannis and Tiberis. Tannis is one of the fighters on the edge and is killed in combat. His brother Tiberis now wants to enact his right of revenge per inhuman law, which is granted, but only to go after the person that his that killed his brother and not the mercenary group as a whole. We later then see him find an attack and kill that person. The big moment of issue seven is that Max makes his play to leave his cell and join the alpha primitives in the lower substructure. He immediately closes off the access to this point of Adelan and begins diverting power from Adelan's defenses to the substructure. It is revealed here that he was behind disguising Waz in his terrogenesis, so he would be sent here so he could be useful for Max. Gorgon at this point is ready to just find and kill Max, but cannot get to him because of that substructure being closed off. But instead, Max visits Medusa through the mirror and kidnaps her to the substructure. Max immediately flaunts this to show Black Bolt's weakness and promises that would he be allowed on the throne, that he would stop the attacks on the outside. This is important because the city lays on a fault line, and with all the bombing, it's making this fault line weak, and like Atlantis, it is likely to then fall into the ocean. Now to issue 8, which is a relatively slow-paced issue. Mendicus heads back to the UN for help, but instead ends up answering all kinds of questions about the slaves living in the substructure. Oops. Dinu, the recently turned inhuman, gets injured, which brings Tanya and her former friend Kelly get back together. Turns out she, her mutated hands ended up having healing powers. Tanya attempts to mend this over in issue 10 and Kaliko throws that I don't think so back at her, but Tanya saves her life moments later so they end up working out and being friends again I guess. Lockjaw is still picking up the vibe in the antiverse and Waz is dying from the control that Maximus has on him. Maximus wants him to die so he can become a martyr for the primitives and a manipulation tool. Crystal's getting increasingly frustrated with Black Bolt's lack of action since her sister Medusa is in the clutches of Maximus, as Karnak confirms that the fault line is a real problem now, not just something that Maximus made up. For now, they do have the Inhumans taking medication for the air pollution, but only have a four-day supply remaining. Into issue 9, it takes a slight detour and focuses on Triton, a member of the royal family that hasn't really been mentioned until now. He is an inhuman whose powers allow him to swim in the ocean. There is some backstory here about a grandfather that sacrificed himself to save his grandson, and really just explaining how he sees humanity, both the good and the bad side. His mission, though, is to deliver a message to Namor, who isn't happy to see him and aggressively denies help. Issue 10 has an interesting start comparing Blackpool to Winston Churchill in that sometimes you have to sacrifice people for the greater good. For Winston Churchill, he knew of an upcoming attack, but if they would have responded, then the Germans would have known that they have access to their transmissions, which was vital for the war. As for Black Bolt, his people are suffering now, but something good is going to come out of it. Basically saying that in the end, you have to stick to the plan 
to get to where you're going, I guess. I don't know. Crystal is still very frustrated that Maximus has Medusa and that she is on some kind of trial. While Grogon is upset because of the strain of the on the telekinesis is starting to show and he is losing men. Triton talks with Crystal and Karnak talks with Gorgon and reminds them that they need to trust in Black Bolt. Watts is very close to dying but in the last moments escapes through the mirror and upset Maximus then takes his frustrations of that out on Medusa who recently attacked him in this issue by cutting off her hair which is her source of power. Issue 11 and 12 are really wrapping everything up for this volume. Medusa uses her recently cut hair to break the device that is routing the power to the substructure, which is an integral part of Black Bolt's plan. Unfortunately, there's a little snag in that. Waz shows up and Black Bolt and Karnak, who is in on the plan, must hide him until the plan is complete. Now that it is time to act, Karnak shares the plan to the other members of the royal family. With his substructure now accessible, Black Bolt heads down and pretty handedly takes care of Maximus. He is once again in prison. Now, how to take care of the humans? Well, it turns out that the defenses aren't damaged. They were turned off in effort to make the humans think that they were winning. Now it is time for Gorgon to hit fault line and making the world think that the city sank as Maximus promised. In the commotion they use Lockjaw's powers to travel through the Antiverse to a new location in the Himalayans. This allows for the Inhumans to put off inevitable further attacks from the humans and all of this was planned by Black Bolt as he was the one that manipulated Maximus. So basically all of this was Black Bolt's ultimate plan to move Adelan from its place where Atlantis was up into the Himalayas. And it was more than just moving the location. He needed to make the humans think that they had sunk into the ocean so they wouldn't come looking for them either. So now into rating this. In overall story, I would give it a four. I like the resolution of the story and I thought it implemented a nice balance of both outside and inside forces. I thought Black Bolt manipulating Max was probably the best part of the story. Some of my issues with the story are better summed up in other categories, but also have an impact on the overall story, which is, I guess is why I give it a four. Characters, this I have to give a four as well. I thought there was a lot of focus on Black Bolt's past, and even though his character was mastermind, he felt a little flat for me. I really liked Medusa. Her willingness to sacrifice her power for the good of the Inhumans was meaningful. I like the use of typically minor characters like Tanya and Waz, but overall I think some of the characters weren't used to their potential like Crystal. Like I mentioned earlier, she did nothing in this volume. In easiness to read, I give it a 4.5. They did while well covering the backstory of the humans so you could make sense of, the, of everything without having to read another comic. The layering did help with introducing everything from the royal family to the teenagers to the primitives. Also helped because it explained in detail each one of these characters and their role. However, this does negatively impact the pacing, which I would give like a 3.5. Even in my first read for this, I found it hard to make it through like the first few issues. They were just really slow and it isn't until the attacks happen that it finally picks up and even then it is still more like, hey, we're attacking and you aren't doing anything. However, then when we get to issue 11 and 12, everything happens very quickly with an explanation and resolution. I understand why they told the story like this, but it makes the beginning a little bit of a yawner, especially if you have already had base knowledge of the characters. Now to the artwork. This I have to rate pretty high with a 4.8. I really like how a lot of the backgrounds are black and that bleeds into the shadow of 
the characters. Overall, I like this art style. I'm not an artist, so it's just like this looks cool to me sort of thing. So with rounding, that leaves us at a 4.2 rating for this comic. If you enjoyed this breakdown, rating, review, then please come back on Thursday. We'll be doing Batman Volume 4 Secret City. As for Marvel, we'll be back next Monday with a breakdown of Deadpool Classic 2. If you prefer to watch videos over listening to podcasts, I will also be taking this audio and making it into a video for my YouTube channel, which is Mayday Maggie on YouTube. I also do episode breakdowns of comic book shows. So go check that out if that's something that you would be interested in. Otherwise, I will see you on Thursday.